0: The people are essentially that allow us to do everything that we do, and not just the people that we employ, it's the people who come and we see every day, and they come and have their piccolo at seven o'clock in the morning, or you know, the people who come and celebrate their anniversary every year with us, those people who keep coming back, and the people who it's a real pleasure to work with, I think that's probably the most satisfying thing.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. With the nation girt by sea, it's surprising there aren't more restaurants with stunning beach or ocean views, but for those that nab them and get it right, they soon become almost impossible to grab a table at. What does it take to create a stellar venue on the water that not only delivers on the plate, but in the service too? James Brownrigg is the executive chef of the Boathouse Group. James, how are you?
0: Well, thanks Huck, thanks for having me.
1: It's good to get you on the show. You are a busy man with many venues on the water. Tell us a bit about this the size and scale of what you guys are doing.
0: So we currently got 10 venues, mostly across the northern beaches, which is a beautiful part of the world, as you probably know. And yeah, plenty more to work on. I think we, uh, we really love working on new concepts and new ideas around the coastal theme. So yeah
1: you've 10 venues on the water what's really important about getting those
0: kind of venues uh right i mean the water is really important it's kind of part and parcel with everything we cook everything we create you know the ambience of the venue so i think that location is just key to everything we we try and produce really
1: there's there's a bit of a myth or um sort of you know, often restaurants by the sea, anecdotally and traditionally, was sort of um, it was said that the food's not very good because people lean on the fact that they have the view and the food sort of is secondary. H- how do you approach what you do and get deliver the best
0: product? I think we've always tried to be a little different to the usual kind of coastal theme. I think you're probably right; it does help a lot to have a beautiful scenic outlook, but we try and reframe those classical dishes, you know, that a lot of coastal restaurants would serve and we try and make it our own and make it more of a boathouse themed experience from, you know, the moment you walk in to the moment you order, the moment you leave, everything has to be unique and themed around that ocean concept really the sea
1: is pretty integral with uh, what you're doing. Give, give us a sense of um, sort of the variety of seafood and, and offerings that you have across the board with the venues.
0: So we've got a number of different areas of the business. So we started as cafes, which was more casual, you know, coming off the beach in your thongs or no shoes and order a fish and chips and a sashimi. And we tried to encapsulate that high-end cafe feel. And then we kind of grew and evolved into opening some restaurants. And at that point, you know, we started to use some more higher end ingredients, some more unique things. And we work with a lot of producers and suppliers, especially around the seafood world to try and put the best produce on the plate.
1: I want to explore sort of, uh, you know, what you're doing with seafood there and some of the species um, that you really champion at the various venues. But I want to go back to when you were young. Uh, you grew up in the UK. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up?
0: Yeah, I mean, in the UK, we're so close to France, Italy, Spain, and uh, we spent a lot of time growing up traveling those areas and going to see different coastal towns and pitching up for a couple of weeks and just enjoying food and drink. So I think that kind of memory of holiday and uh exploring I think was kind of always a really magical thing for me so it's really I think food nowadays in the boathouse we try and encapsulate that holiday coastal vibe do you have any stories of the
1: of the coasts in the UK I mean, I mean Britain got a bad rap you know 20 years ago for its sort of food but what, what's some of the fond memories or dishes that you have from your childhood
0: yeah, I mean, growing up in actual England, I think it's there's a lot of diverse cultures where I grew up. So, you know, we had people from Trinidad, India, Poland, all in my neighborhood. And yeah, I think I grew up eating a lot of those kind of dishes. You know, we would go around my friend's Nan's house and she would always have a pot of, you know, saltfish patties or sauce and rice and we would all sit around and eat and uh you know probably not the traditional British food is what I remember, but a lot of all of that is what I kind of grew up with.
1: When did you first sort of start thinking about uh, a career in food?
0: Uh, so I finished up university just after the GFC in England and it was pretty tough to get a job doing anything in the city and was kind of putting a suit on every day and drive like driving up to London and job interviews and doing that kind of thing. And I think one day I just thought, you know what, I'm going to move to Europe. So that's what I did, naturally. (laughs) And then uh, really got to explore European culture a bit more by being just fully immersed into it. And I ended up settling in San Sebastian for a few years, a lot of time in Barcelona, and then kind of a bit, bit more traveling across Europe. And I think when you're in that environment, you kind of think, what do I have to offer the world in terms of what what skills do I have? And, you know, it wasn't gonna be wearing a suit and getting a train up to London every day. So, (laughs) you know, and cooking was something I always reverted to, you know? So at home and with friends, I would always end up cooking something. So I kind of sunk my heels in there and tried to own in on that craft.
1: San Sebastian, um, over the last decade or so, has sort of captured the world's attention in regards to cooking over fire and um, all sorts of things. Is is there any sort of food or um, techniques from that region and your experience there that you've held on to?
0: I used to have two big barbecue pits and uh, a lot of the cooking I was doing was outdoors. And traditionally, they're really well known for their steak over coals, which you know, part of the Sydney scene these days, you can, as you said, it's become more and more popular, but it was that alongside the paella as well, which isn't traditional to the region, but I was very close to a couple of families who really were passionate about their paella and the cold cooking, and I would spend a lot of time with them in their farmhouse up in the hills, and, you know, although we didn't speak the same language, they were arguing about, you know, too much salt, too much garlic, not enough garlic, not enough salt, you know, and you could tell that they were arguing and the passion that they had for whatever they were making was just infectious.
1: Early on in your career, what were the sort of really key venues or people that you worked with that helped carve a path for you?
0: I mean, so I was doing that kind of thing over in Europe and then I met a... Couple that kind of had a steak in a restaurant over in Australia, and they said, "Have you ever been to Australia? Do you like the sound of it? And uh, do you want to come over for a couple of months and you know work on it while it was there, quiet over in Europe?" And then I, it was a no brainer for me. I came came straight over, and that was it. Really, I was straight into the boathouse group, and we had uh, three venues at the time. One of them was just an event venue and a couple of cafes. And uh, yeah, I just loved it. I fell fell straight in love with it and I've been there ever since.
1: Tell us about that move to Australia. You'd never been here before. Were you surprised by what you experienced in regards to the food industry when you got here?
0: Uh, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time with Australians over in Europe and I really fell in love with their culture even before coming here. I think, you know, the sense of community and, you know, the passion around food. It's certainly a different type of passion that you get in Europe, but there's a lot of food knowledge, I think, in this country. And, yeah, I think coming over here, it was more the community vibe that I got from the boathouse in particular, especially in the kitchens. There was no aggression. There's no kind of um, blow-ups. It was everyone was one big family and one big community that we'd built.
1: Those early days in the boat house. do you have any stories of what it was like for you as the company was building and you were sort of working your way through?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of long days and a lot of, you know, because um, we were a very busy venue. It was all or nothing during the winter. It was slow and then during the summer it was, you know, more people than we could handle, I'd say. But I think being part of a growing business, there's so much more um, – experimental cooking going on and you know we would try a lot of things some of them would work some of them wouldn't but you know the ones that worked we're really proud of and it's that kind of idea to keep experimenting keep growing keep trying things you know will people like it and keep trying to come up with things that other people aren't serving was yeah very exciting for me
1: Cafes are a very different proposition to restaurants. As a group sort of built, um, started to build from cafes to restaurants, what were the challenges involved in sort of changing that model?
0: Uh, I think it was, first of all, changing the food we were making. There's always been a challenge. You know, you go from fairly quick, simple things to needing more space for more technical cooking, which, you know, I think took us as a team a little bit bit of time to adjust to. And yeah, I think people, people's expectations were quite challenging in terms of, you know, they were coming thinking we might be a cafe and then all they would come in think we were fine dining restaurants, but we kind of operate somewhere in the middle of like a casual, comfortable place to come and eat good food.
1: You've got venues everywhere from sort of Rose Bay, you're sort of all the way up north to... Um, Patonga, Hotel Patonga, what's, you know, how different do you need to treat these venues, even though they are, you know, with ocean views? Are they all a little bit different?
0: Yeah, one of the main things for us has always been to build a bit of a community wherever we go. And I think we we don't try and just move into a place and say, this is what we're serving. We want to understand what people want in that area. And like you say, people are very different, So, you know, Patonga, for instance, we we kind of figured it's more of a pub on the ocean, but we want it to be a bit bit of a higher end. And yeah, I think it takes time to just understand who's going to use it and how they're going to use it.
1: Take us through your sort of uh, rising through the ranks there within the group. You mentioned you sort of were brought out here um, to become part of the group. But, you know, how, how did you progress through the group to become sort of group executive chef?
0: Yeah, I mean, I uh, was was very lucky to work with some great people who really believed in me, especially in the early days. So I was only 23 when I moved out here. So I was still fairly young, fairly fresh. But they kind of believed in me and gave me a, a blank canvas to, you know, experiment and learn and own my own skills. So I think that was, that was very important in my rise to where I am now. But As we've we've grown and grown, I think it's, it's less about me and it's more about the people who I work with is important. So I think for growing a business into 10 venues, the more and more I figure it's important to invest in those people who are there playing the food every day and give them the tools to create the best experiences possible.
1: What do you do to create that culture? Um, What's some of the initiatives that you have um, for that within the group?
0: I mean, it's been very organic to date, I would say. So, I mean, a lot of our chefs have been with me for, you know, five plus years. And they, I think over that time, everyone's completely different, but you learn what people need and, you know, how I can help them put the best produce on the plate, how I can help them, you know, run a kitchen or, you know, look after their team. So it's, it's really that idea of helping them do their job, you know, to make it as easy on everyone and make the guest experience as good as possible.
1: What's your day-to-day like these days?
0: Uh, very varied, I'd say. So it's it's a lot of catch-ups with head chefs and we talk about food, you know, like what's what's coming next, what's on now what we could be doing better. And it's that whole thing of taking on feedback and tweaking and adjusting and constantly changing things to try and make them better on a daily basis.
1: Quality produce is at the heart of what you do with your experience in Europe and the UK. Like, how different is the produce here that you, know, you get your hands on for, for the group?
0: Yeah, I mean, very different. I think we've obviously got access to a lot of the same ingredients. And uh, some things are better in Europe and some things are better over here, I would say, in terms of flavor and uh, consistency. But what I love about Australia is we've we've got access to all these new native ingredients, which, you know, are becoming more and more popular that I've never worked with. And I think that's the exciting thing, especially with growers and suppliers, is the fact they're always innovating and trying to put this kind of produce in front of me, which is great.
1: How important is sort of working with local producers for you? And do you have an example or two of some that you
0: work with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's paramount to everything we do. So without getting the right produce, then we're dead in the water essentially. So they help us out a lot and more and more as we grow, it's important that these people have got our back as much as we have theirs. So... I mean, yeah, today I spent a bit of time out at the seafood markets with uh, Northside Seafood, who are very reliable, very good company. And they, they work with us on a lot of things. You know, they help us source new ingredients. They let us know what's good and what isn't. You know, and without that knowledge of what's going on in the markets, we can't effectively do our job. And we, yeah, they really help us with
1: with so many uh, venues. Tell me a bit a bit about dish creation. Is it collaborative, or are they um, your recipes that end up in each venue? How, do, how
0: does it work? It's a bit of both, I would say. So we we try and collaborate as much as possible. I think it's important for chefs to feel ownership over their menu and to know what it is. My my main job is to bring everything into the group, make sure it makes sense, uh, you know, and test it through them and give them kind of a a backboard to bounce ideas off and, you know, have chats. And I spend a lot of time trying to get the produce from where we need it from and I have that information to share with them so they can, you know, have the tools to keep coming up with these issues.
1: Have you had the chance to spend any time on sort of different farms with different producers and any stories related to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, we we used to collaborate with a farm called uh, Ugalo, which was uh, down near Oakdale, and they would produce some of the best produce I've ever had. I would say, and tomatoes being one of them. You know, I, moving over here, I really missed some of the tomatoes we get in Europe, and uh, maybe some people wouldn't agree with me, but I, I think they're on another level, and I think his tomatoes were just phenomenal. You know, and. They're they're the ingredients we love because we don't have to do anything with them, you know. We just put them on a plate and it's ready to go and it's stunning. Uh, You mentioned um,
1: seafood is sort of underpins a lot of what you do across the group. Is is there any specific Australian um, fish or seafood um, that that you love using in the restaurants?
0: Yeah, I mean, Murray cod has been great recently and, you know, finding a fish that's so delicate and flaky – is just a dream for a chef like myself. And uh, yeah, I really agree with their sustainable practices, which is something, you know, we're, we're trying to learn more and more about and lean more and more towards. The last couple of years have
1: been incredibly challenging um, for everyone with, with so many venues and, you know, with, with stunning sort of outlooks. Uh, what, what sort of impact has it had on your role?
0: Yeah, I mean, Extremely challenging two years, for sure, and uh, having a big business, you know, scaling that down and to kind of keep people employed and keep the business alive has never been easy, I wouldn't say, especially seeing as a lot of the chefs we work with are kind of people I've known personally for a long time now, and to know that you've got kind of their livelihood in your hands is not a nice place to be, I wouldn't say but i think everyone's been very understanding and you know we've tried lots of things to make money in that period and i think everyone's just glad we're through it so we can get back to doing what we do really
1: does the experience of the last couple of years sort of shed a new light on sort of your role in hospitality and what you want to get out of it
0: yeah definitely learned a lot i think and learn the possibilities i think the best thing we learned from covid is how Uh, innovative people were in terms of transforming their business to adapt to the climate and I, I think what you learn is that you can change pretty quickly you can change pretty rapidly and you know a lot of those changes you know might point you in a better direction I think so there's that real adaptiveness to change that's been great.
1: Let's talk about your food a little bit and through the Boathouse group. Um, is there is there a dish or two um, that sort of exemplifies sort of what you guys do as a group and, and your sort of style of cooking as a chef as well?
0: Yes. I mean, we we do love big bowls of seafood pasta, which is, you know, a very classic coastal seaside restaurant dish. But, I mean, so we, we do one with uh, – uh, Bay Lobster, which is a great company up in uh, Northern New South Wales, and they have a sustainable aquaculture, and they they grow the best uh, Morn Bay bugs that I've ever tasted. So we have simple pasta. We make pasta every day in house. Yeah, and I think that that's the most important thing: fresh seafood, freshly made pasta. Keep it simple with the sauce and that's that exemplifies our food, I would say.
1: Given the sort of seafood, Ben, and simplicity that's required for it, is there any sort of dish that actually lands on the menu across the whole group that is something you couldn't take off
0: the menu? Yeah, fish and chips, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Every menu is fish and chips. But, I mean, it, it works. And I think we became known for the fish and chips over the years, especially in Palm Beach was our prime location and the the first boathouse, and everyone used to go up there and just get just want fish and chips on the beach you know and being english it it kind of suits my upbringing i would say
1: well um take us through the fish and chips you know what what fish do you use and how do you create the batter and make the best fish and chips
0: yeah so the fish we change daily or weekly depending on what's fresh so we don't like to be locked into one fish, which we have been before, but you find that sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. So we like to keep it interesting and move with the markets. So the guys at the seafood markets let us know what's in, what's good, and we we will move towards that. The bad eye is... Um, big one for us because the batter needs to be perfect you know it, you can't have a stodgy bit in between the fish and the crispy bit it's got to be pure crisp pure fish which is you know essential
1: without giving away uh, too many secrets what 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 do you need to do to get a good batter like that
0: so we use a mix of lager uh, and sparkling water a couple of different flowers And for me, the most important thing is to make sure every ingredient is as cold as you can get it without being frozen and not over whisking. So you kind of get everything in a bowl, give it a bit of a whisk, but leave those clumps in there because as soon as they hit the fryer, they pop and give you those crackly bits that you want. But keeping the batter cold is essential.
1: We've spoken to a lot of guests this year and there's a lot of positivity and optimism sort of moving ahead of COVID. How how are you seeing things with all the venues and how do you see the year ahead?
0: Yeah, I think it's been a great summer and it's really nice to see people out and about again and enjoying hospitality, which I think after a couple of years of uh, not much hope, I think it's, it's great to see that again. And I think it's really uplifted everyone in the industry. So I think, yeah, we, we've we got a couple of venues that we're hoping to work on in the future and maybe add a bit more to the coastal vibe that we've always run with. So it's pretty exciting to be working on something themed by the boathouse that isn't just the boathouse, you know. So I think it's a great experience for us to learn some more things, learn some more techniques and build some more communities, really.
1: The Boathouse Group have been doing extraordinary things at all their venues. What What are you proud of about your time at the
0: Boathouse? I think it's definitely leads towards some people more than anything because the people are essentially that allow us to do everything that we do and not just the people that we employ. It's the people who come and we see every day and they come and have their piccolo at 7 o'clock in the morning or you know, the people who come and celebrate their anniversary every year with us, you know, and I think it's those people who keep coming back and the people who it's a real pleasure to work with, I think that's probably the most satisfying thing.
1: You, you kind of unexpectedly um, built a life for yourself in Australia. What, what, what do you love about uh, being here and, and what you do?
0: I mean, what's there not to love really it's beautiful beaches, sunshine most of the time and... Uh, You know, beautiful people and, uh, yeah, like I said, when I was in Spain, I really found the culture fascinating in Australians and I think it was a good fit for my personality. So I think that's what I really love about the place.
1: Well, James, it's amazing what you're doing. It's an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Look forward to seeing um, the new venues as they unfold. Uh, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Thanks, Huck. Appreciate it.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds Podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who play their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to Executive Producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.